Good afternoon again. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 today. We're going through the Ten Commandments in a series on these Sunday afternoons. And um, we're up to the third commandment now, which is don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, I'm a uh, preacher and a golfer, and that creates certain awkwardness for people in my life. Um, When you meet people on the golf course and they find out you're a preacher, uh, they feel like they've got to adjust their behavior somehow because I guess they know how much I love hypocrisy. And uh, so they always think, oh, uh, you know, they feel like they have to apologize for their language mainly. And so I try to explain it like on simple golfer terms to people that there's really just one commandment about language and that's God's name. You know, as long as you're not using God's name, it's, it's pretty much just a matter of manners. So... You know, don't don't worry about it too much. And so inevitably people will reform themselves at that point and stop saying GD and they'll start instead saying uh, Jesus Christ. And <laughs> like, uh, maybe this is over your heads is what I think usually. So I'm hoping for more out of you in terms of sophistication and understanding the third commandment about language. Um, it's an odd commandment, you know, um, it feels a little bit arbitrary and a little bit unimportant, I think. Almost like it is just a matter of manners uh, about uh, using pleasant speech with other people. Uh, of course, it's a, about a lot more than that. It's about taking God seriously. It's about reverence in our life and all the ways that we think and talk about God. And so it's a richer concept than just not cussing, um, even though not using God's name that way is part of it. So we're going to dig into it a little bit and try to think about it more robustly. Uh, Let me pray for us first, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, please help us. Um, uh, We need to have our consciences shaped by your law, by what pleases you, by what you love. And uh, we don't naturally think the way you think. And so we ask as we consider this commandment together tonight that you give us hope in believing that you give us uh, power to see real change happen in our lives, uh, that we might honor you with our lips. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The third commandment, Exodus 27, says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is it surprising to you that this is one of the ten like there are ten important moral rules that uh, sum up everything about what it means to love and obey God, that this would be one of them. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. I mean, it's just words, right? It's, uh, it's not that important. Um, most of the time when people use God's name uh, carelessly, they don't mean anything harmful by it, right? They're, um, they don't have ill intent. They're not usually shaking their fists at God and cursing him. Things like that. It's, you know, is it really that big a deal if the junior high girl responds to a text, OMG? Right? Can that matter much? Uh, One of the top ten commandments? uh, How is it that it's so important that way? Why does God take this so seriously? Uh, And the answer is because he wants us to take him seriously. When you talk about his name, you talk about who he is and what he's done. And... The problem that's being addressed here is not that um, 
We don't have any malice in our heart when we're breaking this commandment. The problem is that we don't have anything in our minds when we're breaking this commandment. Unseriousness itself is the problem. To use God's name in vain is to use it in an empty way. It is to not mean anything by it when we use God's name. And that's uh, what he takes offense at, right? Is that we use his name carelessly in an empty way, not meaning anything by it. And that's the real issue. So I want us to think about this. There are, there are a number of ways you can think about that are places where we might break this commandment. Um, so I want to talk about those first, and then secondly, talk about how we can keep it uh, more completely. First, how we break it. Vain uses of God's name. Some of you have read our Confession of Faith. It's remarkably thick. Uh, it's very detailed. Uh, we have description of what we believe about God and our duty to him laid out in chapters, and then we have it in question and answer format in a catechism. There's a shorter catechism and a larger catechism. And in these catechisms, we talk about the Ten Commandments at pretty great length. Um, I looked at what are the sins forbidden by the Third Commandment in our catechism, and I counted easily over 50 things that were listed there, uh, ways that you can break the Third Commandment. So if you were looking for new ways to break the Third Commandment, you know, you've come to the right place. So I can give you a beviary of that. It's, uh, I'm not going to be as exhaustive as the catechism is on it, but a lot of things really fall under this heading. Uh, first of all, just saying God's name as a cuss word or an expletive is clearly ruled out here, but it's also how we use his reputation. Like, if we try to... Um, borrow his reputation to give ourselves credibility. Like you'll see sometimes, uh, I never really know what to think about this, but when somebody uses, puts a fish uh, on an advertisement for their business, you know, identifying themselves as a Christian, is that because they are really wanting to be uh, uh, public with their faith and uh, let everyone know in a, in a winsome way that they're Christians? Or is it that they're not so sure their reputation is great, and so maybe if you attach Jesus' reputation to their business, you'll trust them more easily. You know, I, whenever I see something advertised as honest plumbing, I feel kind of the same way. I think, huh, I wonder if this is good news or bad news, that they're telling me they're a Christian or they're telling me that they're honest. Um, but con men do this, and we all are tempted to do this, when we swear to God, right? Uh, Believe me, I swear to God that this is true, which is meant to say I'm, I'm calling God to adjudicate my perjury if I'm lying to you right now, which is no light thing to say. But as you know, many people say it very glibly that they swear to God, and that's ruled out by uh, reverence for God's name. But we don't use his, his reputation that way. Actual perjury is also ruled out. When you swear in a court... Uh, that you will tell the truth so help you God, the idea is that you know God is the avenger of perjury. And even if you get away with it here, you know that God sees and hears what you say. Trivializing God's name is another uh, category of taking his name in vain. Um, this is often done by well-meaning people who are trying to advocate for Jesus and the faith. Um, but when we uh, write and sing... Uh, glib songs that are disrespectful because they lack gravity talking about God. It's easy to use his name in vain. Or if we use uh, 
You've seen all the, the kitschy stuff in the Christian bookstore that gets sold uh, using God's name in ways that are not fully respectful, right? I, you, some of the worst that you see is patriotic stuff, you know, a cross that's superimposed over an American flag or something like that that you'll see around. That's It's a violation of the third commandment, right? It's using God's name in a vain way. He doesn't share his glory and is jealous of his glory, as the commandment says. And so... Um, even in these seemingly well-intentioned uh, situations, you see it's easy for us not to take God's name with the seriousness that it deserves or the weight that it deserves. Uh, certainly much of what we hear when God's name is invoked politically is a trivialization of his name. Um, and um, it's a very light-hearted and light-thinking uh, appeal to him for some kind of sponsorship to our political movements, which also is a vain use of his name. Feel guilty yet? Um, how about formalistic worship, where we just say the words and don't mean them? Um, sing the words and don't mean them. It's a temptation in churches that have a fairly uh, uh, written out liturgy like ours, a more formal liturgy, but also a temptation in churches that are extemporaneous in most of their praying and talking about God, where you hear the same kind of phrases used in vain repetition. No one's free from the temptation. Uh, to be disengaged mentally when we take God's name on our lips in worship. Um, But you remember Jesus talked about this. He said, these people uh, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And, of course, that's always a present danger for us. It's an occupational hazard for me, uh, talking about God as much as I do. But, you know, the difference, just think about, like, the Pledge of Allegiance. If you have uh, uh, combat veterans saying the Pledge of Allegiance on a Memorial Day versus uh, junior high boys saying the Pledge of Allegiance on a school morning, you know, the level of seriousness is likely to be pretty different. None of the combat veterans are using a Donald Duck voice, you know, as they say the Pledge of Allegiance because they're taking seriously uh, what the flag means to them and what their allegiance to it has cost them, right? And so God wants us to have our fullest seriousness in play when we think and talk about him, which is understandable. Um, Hypocrisy is another way of taking God's name in vain where we claim his name and yet live in a way that uh, brings dishonor on his name openly. Uh, Paul accused the uh, believers and Romans, he said that the, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I've been reading, some of you I know have been reading too, Uncle Tom's Cabin recently, thanks to Matt. I wouldn't have read it otherwise. Um, But in this book, as uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe talks about slavery, uh, she's constantly holding up the standards of Christian morality to the uh, professing Christians who are complicit in the slave trade and the mistreatment of slaves. And uh, it's heartbreaking to read the book. It, it really is, because you think this is the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of us. And I feel it peculiarly as a Southerner, but for any of us, that um, for us to live in open hypocrisy is to bring shame on the name of God. So, serious reverence for God in all your thoughts and all your words all the time. Does that sound even possible to you? I mean... Even most of the time? Does that sound possible to you? Uh, This feels like 
uh, one of those beyond my grasp things. If you were just telling me I can't use God's name as a cuss word, okay, I can probably do that most of the time. But to bring the full seriousness that is due his name uh, to bear every time I think or talk about him, that sounds like uh, some angel. That doesn't sound like a real person uh, can actually maintain that intensity, if nothing else, all through their life. And you're supposed to feel that way when you hear God's law. And we've talked about this before, but part of what God's law does is diagnose us. And what we read earlier from the gospel reading says, out of the heart flow, uh, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And uh, we realize when we read a commandment like this that there's something broken in us that's at heart level. It's not just a matter of bad habits of speech. Um, there's, there's a thinking about God that is warped way down deep inside us in a way that we don't have the power to change. And just being told you need to take God seriously all the time and use his name in a reverent way uh, can make you feel, uh, can improve your conscience, let's say. It can make you feel guilty at the right times. But that can't change you. That can't create a different heart that causes you to want to honor and hallow God's name instinctively and all the time. It can't do that. Um, So part of what the law does for us is it it shows us why we need a Savior like Jesus so much. One who um, takes the threat of this commandment and says the Lord will not leave him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And Jesus, who honored God's name uh, consistently through his whole life, went to his death not being held guiltless. He took our guilt on him so that we receive God's name as a blessing rather than a curse on us. Uh, This commandment shows us that none of us is good enough to be in good standing with God because of our morality. It shows us that we need Jesus. So that what Christians experience... Um, in the benediction that we have at the end of the service, uh, most weeks we use the benediction that Aaron was told to give to the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Um, this blessing, rather than a curse, God says, in this way you shall put my name on my people with the benediction. You'll put my name on my people. So that because of Jesus, um, despite our lack of reverence and seriousness that we barely even aspire to, uh, we find that God is willing to be known by having his name associated with us, calling us Christians, and letting his reputation ride with us in the world because of his mercy. He puts his grace on us. So on one hand, the, the difficulty of the law points us to Jesus. The other uh, thing that the difficulty of the law does, though, is um, points us to who we will be in the future. Because right? if you're a Christian, you will eventually keep God's law from your heart all the time. Uh, eventually, when you die in the new creation, uh, you'll live in obedience to God all day, every day. That means that you'll be the kind of person that thinks of and speaks of God with appropriate seriousness all the time, with reverence and delight in Him. Like There's going to be a version of you that actually lives that out, uh, which is surprising and uh, pretty hopeful, really. And that you can begin to live that way now. 
Right? You can begin more and more to live reverencing God's name, hallowing his name, learning how to do this, uh, training your conscience, uh, training the habits of your heart. And the way you do that is kind of what I want to talk about. Secondly, how we begin to keep the commandment now is um, realizing what Jesus has done for us. This commandment says uh, you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. It's, you know, in your Bible, it'll be the capital L and the small cap O-R-D, meaning this, this is the name that God gave for Israel to use with him. It's a very personal, connected, love relationship name. He's not saying you shall not use the word God in vain. He's saying you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. And it throws you back, if you're thinking about the Ten Commandments, to the preface which says to the Ten Commandments, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, don't use my name in an empty way. It's because we know who he is and what he's done for us that we're motivated from the inside out to use his name with reverence and seriousness. Um, It's Yahweh my God that drives me to this. The same way that you would... uh, not use a, a beloved relative's name uh, lightly or, or allow someone to disparage their name uh, because you know them, you love them, you respect them, and it's offensive to you if someone else misuses their name. And you would never uh, disparagingly use your parents' name if they've been good parents anyway. But the same kind of thing, it's the, it's the nature of the relationship and connection and remembrance, remembrance of what he's done for us that uh, makes it right to speak of him with gratitude and respect easily. So, I'll tell you a, a story uh, to try to play this out. A friend of mine passed this along to me. There's a woman named Peggy Harris who lived in Texas and was briefly married six months to a man who became a pilot in World War II. Uh, so, he was flying missions over Normandy right after D Day. His name was Billy D. Harris. And she got word that he was missing in action. And then she got word that he'd been killed in action. And then word again that maybe he was missing. And so a lot of confusion around what had happened to him, where he was. But as the weeks passed and then the months passed, she came to terms with the idea that he's not going to be coming back home. But with all the confusion and all the death that was going on then, they, they didn't know what had happened to him or if he was dead, where he was buried or anything like that. And so they lived. She lived, never remarried for the rest of her life and um, never really knowing what happened to Billy D. Harris. One of her relatives, though, 60 years later, so this was like 2004, uh, started looking into it, trying to find out what happened to him. And uh, as they started doing investigations... Uh, they heard about a village called Levant in France, near Normandy, where Billy D. Harris was actually very famous. Because he had died near there, he was, uh, had his plane shot down, and it was going down toward the middle of the village in Levant, and instead of ejecting and saving himself and letting the plane crash into the city, uh, he was able to maneuver the disabled plane into the nearby woods and uh, save the people in the town from the crash of his plane. And so they went and pulled him out of the wreckage and saw in his flight uniform the name Billy D. Harris, the main street in the town of Levant, is 
plausibility de Harris. Uh, but his wife never knew this, or never knew what had happened to him. Said that they buried him there ceremonially in their town, but then eventually he was remains removed to the cemetery in Normandy, and in the confusion they lost track of where he was and where he was buried, and so his wife never found out. But in the town of Levant, they had uh, parades honoring the war dead for the next 60 years that uh, paraded to the shrine of the original burial place of Billy D. Harris, even though his wife never knew this, and they left flowers there every year. So she found out uh, very near the end of her life. She was very old and went, and there was one man living who still remembered who had seen what happened. He was 91 years old, and he showed her the place where the plane had wrecked. And she found out about her husband this way. It was a pretty great story. But suppose an adult in Levant heard a kid, probably a junior high kid, say, um, making flippant and disrespectful jokes about Billy D. Harris. What would they say, that kid, to get him to stop that? Say, you kids can't do that. That's against the rules. Or would they more likely say, hey, come here. I want to tell you a story about somebody who um, didn't know us at all, but who left his home and family and came all the way across an ocean to liberate us and to try to save us. And then once he was here, gave his life to liberate and save us by uh, maneuvering his plane away from the town and sacrificing his life for the sake of ours. Um, somebody like that said, I'll show you. See those woods over there? That's where his plane crashed. Now, if you hear that story, you feel the weight. You don't really need a rule to tell you that you should speak with gratitude and respect about Billy D. Harris. Right? Uh, you don't need to be scolded that it's bad manners to use his name flippantly or something like that. Because the nature of what he's done for you, the nature of the connection and relationship that you have. And that's the, the way that the third commandment gets beautiful expression in the life of a Christian, is that as we pay attention to who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and we get glimpses of his beauty and uh, what this truest of human beings was like and what he's done for us, his patience with us, his mercy towards us, that our hearts instinctively want to speak and think of him with gratitude and reverence. Rather than just following a little rule by which we're scolded, we have a heart that overflows in gratitude and respect to Jesus Christ. That's how God fulfills his law in us. Now let's pray.